Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and today we go to Holland to talk to Marianne Coyu and to find about her story of living in Holland and a lot of time in South Africa. So, Marianne, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Very nice to be able to talk to you and to hear about what your company is also doing and to be able to tell you something about my life. Okay, so, Marianne, let's start with your academic experience. Uh, my <laughs> academic experience. Well, I, um, I was when I was two, I went to South Africa with my parents. So I went to primary school, to an Afrikaans school, and to an English school. And by the time I was 12, we moved back to the Netherlands. So then I went to a Dutch school. And the funny thing is going to a, having Dutch parents speaking Dutch at home, you come to the Netherlands and you don't really know the culture. So you have to learn uh, history and uh, geography and everything suddenly all the, the European and the Dutch way. So that was an experience. And then uh, when I finished uh, secondary school, I did a, uh, I became a nursery school teacher. And once I'd finished my course, I went back to South Africa and then uh, started working there as such. And then after, after finishing my nursery school teaching, I somehow, um, I always like to learn things. I just don't like the exams. So then when I came back to the Netherlands again, I became, um, uh, I studied for Montessori teacher, then for a primary school teacher, handicrafts teacher, and then uh, I did pedagogics at science of teaching children. Then all the pedagogics, I don't know, I think that's the English words, concerning children with special needs. And then eventually I did a master's in special education with the Dutch and uh, Greenwich uh, University. And every time I thought, I'm never going to study again. And then I just couldn't let go and then. So I, I, I learned a lot and I hope to uh, make use of it still. Let's talk about your working career. Um, so I started my first job, what was in the Netherlands just for a short while. And then I went back to South Africa when I was in my 20s, and I started, I'd worked there for about two to three years at the nursery school teacher, uh, as a nursery school teacher at, in uh, Cape Town. Then I came back, and then I worked as a nursery school teacher in the Netherlands, and later on in uh, kindergarten in Amsterdam, then at a primary school, and then eventually I worked for the school for the blind and low vision children. And I did that for about 25 years. And in between, I went to Tanzania for a couple of years and I trained teachers and I worked on projects linking eye care to education. And then I also did some training uh, together with um, colleagues in Ghana and in Democratic Congo, also in uh, uh, teaching, uh, train the teachers and also uh, uh, bringing awareness 
and working together with uh, with eye care. That's a, a very uh, roundabout career teaching a variety of uh, people. So the, uh, the work with the blind people must have been very uh, satisfying. Well, the funny thing is people think it's satisfying, and of course it is, but the, the, the main thing <laughs> is um, when I finished my training as teacher and, uh, and other trainings, I never thought I would be able to work with people uh, with an impairment. And it's just happened that I... Uh, I had the opportunity to work for the school for the blind and and low vision, and my first year there, I had nothing to do with braille or anything. I hadn't had no training, so it's on the spot learning a lot of things. So I learned braille by reading these little bumps, and then writing in pencil under it what the what the, the um, what the meaning of every bump is, and then that way I learned to to read and uh, read and write a bit of. Uh, Braille, but um, eighty percent of the so-called blind are low vision, so they can still use their eyes. So it's only a small group of uh, children that are really blind. So how old were these children? Sorry. How old were the children? Well, these children were from. Um, well, I think we got them in the class from about. I started off with the, with the twelve year olds, but then I went to the nursery school, and that was from about two to three years old. The children come to the school, and then you became a teacher of teachers. And then I became a teacher of teachers, and that was uh, well. Uh, working with uh, at the school for the blind, we um, would also uh, work together with uh, uh, teachers. In the, in the regular schools. So we would visit the regular schools and then we would also train uh, the teachers who would have a, a, a low vision or a blind child in the class. So we would have these teachers come into our school and we do the training there as well. So while you were sort of working in the class, you were also training teachers outside. So did you get to uh, stay with some of these students for a while? Uh, no, I didn't stay with the students. Um, you mean to live with the students? No, no. Did you know them over more than one year? Yes, 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 yes. We knew them for many, many years. We would follow them uh, through over all the years. And often these children would have uh, other uh, impairments. Because if the child would only be visually impaired or, uh, or blind... Uh, formerly, they used to go to the special schools for that, but over the years, they tried to get the children into the regular schools. So then eventually, we would have at the school people with multiple um, impairments and often behavioral parent, uh, impairments as well. And every impairment was different. So we would work together with social work and we would work together with uh, optometrists. And so um, while working, you learn a lot. So it's not a training you get beforehand before you start working. It's it's just on the job, which I rather like. What about teaching parents? Oh yes, we also had parents. We um, uh, parents would get together now and again, but also the social worker would work a lot with the parents, because also the parents would have a, a, a very often a difficult uh, background, and what we especially with the with the younger children. Uh, you could see 
the the difficulty it could have on uh, on the relationship between the parents because you often find um, mothers who have the child they're worried about the child and a lot of attention goes to the child and not to the partner or even to other children within the family so it's it's a very difficult uh, situation it's not it's not only visual impairment it's there's so much more to it and that's why you need social work and other uh, people to to help people along. So it became a partnership with other people. Um, no, we we were lucky in the Netherlands. We I noticed that <coughs> at conferences that the Netherlands we were pretty lucky because um, within the, the the school started uh, and other organizations. So there's a big organization called Physio, and then the two other organizations within the Netherlands. And they would work together with uh, the hospitals. They would have uh, optometrists. They would have social workers. And um, um, I wrote it down because I always forget what the name is of it. The occupational therapists, they would also have them. Because you need all these um, different uh, types uh, of, of people to follow through the needs of the children. And uh, so it became one organization. We have different places, uh, usually close to the hospitals. So we would work together with the optometrist, with the ophthalmologist. So you all learn from each other. We even would have psychiatrists and, and, and so on. So in South Africa, which seems to be a second home. Yes, my like a mother and a father, I always say. The one is the mother and the other father. I don't know which is which. So how often do you go to South Africa? Well, I used to go for the last couple of years since my uh, since um, uh, I retired. I went about twice a year. And just before COVID, I went three times. And, well, I, of course, I haven't been for some time. And I'm hoping to go in, I've booked to go in April again. And where in South Africa? Uh, my brother has, um, they call it a swallow, so in uh, the summer, uh, the, the winter in, in Europe. He, us he lives in, the Eng in England, but then he goes over to South Africa. So I usually st uh, stay with them. So it's, it's in Cape Town, or near Cape Town. Okay, so Marianne, let's look three years down the road. What will well, you be doing in three years? Well, I'm hoping because over the last couple of years, I've been mapping what um, what there is for for visually impaired children, and um, the happy few they do have an optometrist and ophthalmologist and so on. But the largest group of people they uh, of younger, I'm, I'm looking at the children. There is virtually nothing for them. So um, at the moment we are, for some years, we've been trying to set up a, a possibility to have children assessed. And once they're assessed, they can be helped. And that is how you uh, prevent childhood blindness and low vision. And um, I've been to several organizations and everybody does a little bit, but eventually I came to Cape Town Society for the Blind and they were helping people or still helping people from 18 years onwards and then to get them skilled and to find jobs for them. And they had very little with uh, low vision, 
but um, working together and they worked on it, they eventually were able to set up a clinic. So now they have a clinic for uh, for low vision because, you know, low vision is not uh, um, about a pair of glasses. It is very much about what is the problem with the eye and what can we do if possible, maybe through uh, intervention. But once you've had an intervention, you have to have a follow-up and all these things are just not there. And um, so they just, um, during COVID, they set up the, they launched the, uh, the clinic so, uh, and I did some training also with the uh, with the staff that did more for the blind, and um, so now they uh, are assessing the older people, but now they're starting to assess uh, younger children as well. And with Rotary, um, we have many contacts because they work with ECDC centers, those early childhood uh, development centers. And um, they train teachers for these early learning centers. And um, in, in some areas, they also have uh, health care for the children. So we are looking in to see how we can fit into this health care. So the younger children, the younger you get them, the, the, the more prevention you can, you can give. But then you also need to have an, uh, someone who's, um, who can uh, assess but once you have children that are, do have a problem, then you need an optometrist who is specialized in low vision, and that's what they have at the clinic, to, to assess, but not only assess, but also advise what can you do with the eyes, um, more light or uh, sit nearer to the blackboard. Very simple things are there, but you can also get um, uh, devices if that's possible. And, um, but then you still need to follow up because you, you need to have a look at these children every couple of uh, years. So about three times in primaries, twice in secondary, and then for further, uh, further education as well. So uh, in three years time, we are hoping that the, um, the clinic is more developed and that we can have uh, another optometrist and that they have more experience. As we were lucky with the optometrist they have there, she has had experience in England. But it's, it's, it's quite a complex thing, but um, you know, you have got to take it step by step. But that is the hope that we can have assessments and then we can train people and also uh, train teachers to understand what visual impairment is because in Tanzania, for instance, we did um, uh, with well, the others also the training, we would do myths and facts. Like um, then we would have people saying, uh, standing in, 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 in the classroom, and then you would have the, on the one side, you would have the, if, if it's a fact or it's a myth, or it's, or in the middle, if it's, it could be half, half. And then we would, for instance, ask, uh, if you use your eyes, in in dark light or with a with a with a little bit of light dim light is that going to are you going to go blind and it's amazing that still a lot of people think you go blind so therefore they tell a child not to use their eyes so these are very simple things that you have to um, bring about uh, awareness to let people know that you need to use your eyes to be able to develop them now, my aunt was uh, blind, and she was in the Canadian National Institute of Blindness in uh, Toronto, 
and uh, I used to go and visit, and I'd go in the room, and they were playing cards, and the lights were off. So. <laughs> yeah, but then she was really very blind because yes. 20% of the so-called blindness are not uh, are, are blind. So 80% is not blind. And the interesting uh, thing is that um, in, in Tanzania especially, you would have uh, schools for the blind, but also you would have um, um, uh, kind of s small schools that would be part of a normal school. So there would be a, an attachment. And um, you would find a lot of children with albinism. And with albinism, people don't see very well, but they can still use their eyes. And we would find that these children, they would do Braille because they would they had learned that you have to learn Braille because you're going to go blind. But the reality is, as long as you can see, most people don't want to do Braille because they want to use their eyes. And what I would find these children, they would read the Braille with their eyes. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Braille, it's these little dots. And they would hold it close by and they would read it. So when the teacher wasn't watching, they taught themselves how to read these little dots. And um, so that's the way we, we taught these teachers, you know, let these children use their eyes because at least they can read something with it. So don't forbid them to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to read. And then the teacher would say, no, no, look, I, I'll show you. The child doesn't read. And then once, then she would hold the book and then she would sort of put her hands on it and then she would read with her hands. But once the teacher left, they would use their eyes again. So, Marianne, if I am a, a youth and I want to get a part-time job, how can I, what kind of jobs can I apply for? If you blind or visually impaired yes. or low vision? Yes. It used to be uh, uh, doing phone centers or phone calls, but that was also for the happy few. Huh? So that is the biggest problem. The, the, um, you don't, if you're not assessed and you, don't, you cannot go to school or you go to school but you cannot follow the education, you're up for poverty. So there's, and, and a society for the blind is helping uh, youngsters uh, who are blind, but now they're also doing more and more with low vision to give them certain skills to be able to, uh, to work and then try to find a job. But, you know, without South Africa, it's very difficult to find a job anyway. And then and when you're impaired, it's even, uh, it's even worse. But um, we were on a program as well uh, from the Netherlands with, with a group of ladies, we gave money for a sewing machine at the, at the Society for the Blind. And you'd think, oh, if you love vision, you cannot sew, but you can. And we had a special machine that would put the thread through uh, easier. And even without that, they can do it. Um, and in that way, to teach them how to sew, and then they can uh, use that skill to start a business. And that is what we did in Tanzania. We would give... Uh, uh, we would train people, give them material, and then they could start sewing school uh, uniforms. So in their village, they could do this, and then they'd earn a little bit of money, and in that way, they would earn back the sewing machine. So then they would have the sewing machine for themselves. So it must be frustrating for a parent 
with a visually impaired child, thinking into the future in terms of uh, them being able to look after themselves from a monetary point of view. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and also to get the parents to understand uh, what the possibilities are and how you have to protect the child, but also not to protect too much. Because what you find in the Netherlands, for instance, they sometimes they protect the child so much that it cannot become uh, independent. So many of these people, when they grow up, get apartments, just like normal people. And they try to operate. Do they, a lot of them operate from home, or do they actually go to a, a place of work? Oh, no, it, um, that is for uh, visually impaired with uh, with multiple uh, impairments. But if you only vis low vision or uh, or blind, then you can still, you know, if your your intellect is fine, you can still in in the Netherlands you can uh, you can learn a lot of things. And also in other countries, like uh, we did in in Tanzania, we'd learn them how to sew. Um, uh, for, uh, keep chickens or to sow plants or whatever. So they did get some skills. And in the Netherlands, the uh, group of people who um, who do have skills, they don't often get a job. So when is your book coming out? I see a book in the future. Well, the book for the <coughs> for the different cultures. Oh. <coughs> Just a book that you would write. Well, you know, we've with um, when I was working in Tanzania, I worked with uh, Kilimanjaro Center for Community Ophthalmology. They work together with, uh, they also sponsored by Seva Canada. I don't know if you know Seva Canada. That's also very much for the eyes. And um, there's an American couple, and um, she's an ophthalmologist, and he's an epidemiologist. And they set up a wonderful center, and there are a lot of manuals. I've also worked together on on these manuals, what you can do with the children, what you can, how you can set up uh, uh, all these systems, how you can do assessments, how you can do field assessments, and they also have, they've done a lot of research. And what I noticed, that's why I also joined USAID webinars and things like that. There are so there is so much research done that it irritates me that so much money is going into research. We know so much, but the field work is hardly there. So that is my passion is to get the field work uh, going. I've seen it, I've had the experience in Tanzania, there's a lot to be done. And there was a lot done and there's still a lot to be done. But like Tanzania, the townships in Cape Town, they are very much the same as in Tanzania. There's virtually nothing there. So you have to you have to look into a country, see what they have, and see what the possibilities in are, and to have the right people to work together with. So, Marianne, when are you going to write a book about your experiences? No, I'm not so interesting. I'm I'm interested in getting work done and getting these children uh, assessed, and that they get possibilities of of living an independent life. Have you? Uh, Thought of starting a nonprofit organization or being involved in a nonprofit organization? No, well, um, because I'm a member of uh, Rotary uh, 
I'm, I'm secretary of the E Club of uh, uh, Rotary of E Club of Greater Cape Town. I have a lot of contacts within Cape Town. And the nice thing about the Society for the Blind, Cape Town Society of the Blind, the CEO there, she is a um, she's a Rotarian, and therefore she had a lot of contacts. And the the next CEO, uh, because she's going to retire, she's also a member of of Rotary. So within Rotary, there are a lot of possibilities, and you have a lot of connections. When I'm going um, in April, we um, we we had some money for a small ECDC uh, together with the German club. So they had a wine, we had an online wine tasting, and with that we got a lot of money. And um, the German lady, she's connected to this ECDC centers, and this is a small one. And I'll be going there and to see what the possibilities are and to see if we can fit in um, uh, with the training, with the teach, teachers that have been trained, to get us uh, um, a training to uh, train teachers as well about low vision. So you understand what it is to have low vision and what you can still do with it. Marianne, you're passionate about what you do. Yes, I definitely am, and I'm, and I'm enjoying it too. I'm so pleased I'm able to do this. That's true. What do your family think about what you're doing? Well, they've always known that I've uh, liked to do this. I, um, well, I come from a family, like my father, he went to South Africa because uh, he was a dermatologist, and we went to a leprosy uh, where they had leprosy, the people, and in the 50s, they got medicine for it. And uh, so my father moved on from the uh, Institute for Leprosy to, to uh, the, the um, hospital in Cape Town. And um, so we lived there for about 10 years. But it, uh, for all the children, I had a sister and I still have two brothers. Um, we all sort of have this love for South Africa. Actually, my youngest brother was born there, so he didn't have very much experience uh, with the country. But my oldest brother, he always traveled. He lived in Hong Kong and he lived in Norway and uh, in England. All his children are living in England. So we are sort of used to moving around. And once my children had left home, I decided to go to Tanzania for a couple of years. And they visited me, of course. And so it's, it's within our blood, I think, or in our genes, whatever. So your children understand and support what you're doing? Yes, they definitely do. My eldest son has just turned 40, and my daughter is uh, 37. Okay. Well, Marianne, it's an absolute delight talking to you today. And I'm sure there's a lot more in the future. So thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to me.